I want you all to consider something uh, this morning. Consider that almost every decision that you make each day is at least in part determined by fear. Every decision. Uh, My son, Isaac, he's two and a half. I call him Ike. A little tyrant. Um, I'm really enjoying this age, two and a half. People call it the terrible twos. I'm not really sure what that's about. But uh, one of the reasons I enjoy him so much is because of his transparency. I want to give you an example. I've got a script here that happens often in our home. Dad, I want to kick Daisy. Daisy's our dog. She's a little beagle. Well, it's okay to want to do that, but I need you to choose not to kick her. But I want to. You just stand, just Daisy laying on the floor. But I want to. I know you want to, buddy, but that would be a bad decision. And if you make a bad decision, bad things might happen. Now, the first time I had this interaction with Isaac was maybe maybe a year, maybe a year ago. And uh, who believes that Isaac made a good decision? Raise your hand if you believe that Isaac, a two, uh, at the time, yeah, okay, some faith in our young people. <laughs> who thinks he made a bad decision the first time? That's a good guess. Who here has a two-year-old? Your votes count double. <laughs> So back back to my premise, consider that every decision you make every day is partly determined by fear. Suppose Ike makes a good decision, right? Now, why, why does he make a good decision? Does he make it because he's afraid? He makes a good decision. He doesn't kick my dog, who I've now convinced him that he's the boss of, by the way. I would contend that if he does make a good decision, in part it's due to his experience of past bad decisions, right? Uh, Therefore, defining for him what those bad things are that might happen, right? So, but that's the easy one. The good decision is made by my two-and-a-half-year-old because he's got past experiences that help him define why he should be afraid of making a bad decision, uh, but what if he falls through on the bad decision? What if he actually kicks, kicks my dog? This one's a little harder. Is fear really driving my two-and-a-half-year-old to haul off and kick my dog? Um, I can tell you now he definitely is not afraid of my weight-gaining hairball of a beagle. I can tell you that. She's not, a, she's not one to incite fear. Um, so it might seem like a little bit of a stretch, but I, I would actually suggest that part of his bad decision is fueled by fear. Fear that if he doesn't kick Daisy, he might not actually be in control, right? He's afraid he might not actually have control. Fear that he might miss out on something really amazing. What if I kick Daisy and something amazing happens, right? Or maybe, most of all, for a two-and-a-half-year-old, fear that he might stop getting to do everything that he wants to do. Man, how many times could I have used a walkthrough just like this in my own life? 
Imagine if every time you had the desire to make a bad decision, you stated it aloud and just allowed the people around you to acknowledge your desire to make that bad decision with with no judgment. And then they actually encourage you to simply make a better decision in that moment. All right, so I'm going to give you an example. Uh, Hi, I'd like to uh, supersize my number four. Uh, Sir, well, it's okay to want to do that, um, but I'm going to need you to choose to not supersize your number four today. But I want to. Well, I know you want to, sir, but that would be a bad decision, and if you make a bad decision, bad things might happen. Um, Or an interaction like this, maybe with your best friend. I really don't want to listen to my spouse right now. Well, it's okay to want to not listen to your spouse, Brad. But I need you to choose to listen anyway. But I don't want to. I know you don't want to, but that would be a bad decision. And if you make a bad decision, bad things might happen. Seriously, the what if the people around us actually stopped letting us off the hook for every bad decision that we wanted to make? Because that's not how your interaction with your best friend probably goes. What if they acknowledged our desire to be let off the hook and just encouraged us to make a right decision? But then, what if they also helped us try to identify the fear that might be driving that bad decision? And let, me, let me put this kind of... Uh, this back and forth to you in a different way. I'm afraid that if I listen to my spouse right now, I'll blank. Put that one back up there. I'm afraid that if I listen to my spouse right now, I'll what? I would bring this back to my son. You'd have to talk about the thing that you don't want to talk about. You might have to think about the thing that you don't want to have to think about. You might have to lose some comfort or some control. Some kind of power over your own destiny that you think you hold. What is it for you? Now imagine that this is uh, what your best friend said in response. It's okay to be afraid, but I need you to choose to listen anyway. It's okay to be afraid to lose that. Just choose to do it anyway. Consider that the one overarching, repetitive, bad decision that we've all been making is that we're living and acting often out of the fear that drives us. Fear of the unknown. Fear of losing approval. Fear of losing control. Fear of losing comfort. Fear of losing power. These are uh, these bottom four, approval, control, comfort, power. These are often referred to um, by modern day theologists as, as the, the source idols. Idols that drive our decision making. 
Thanks, Brad. Real uplifting message. I'm a fear-driven fool. Good pep talk. Did you run that running thing? All right. Before you before you hook your guilt wagon up that your parents, you know, established in the past, um, let re- let me just remind you of how human this response is. This is everyone's doing this. It took me a long time, um, or it took me, a, I, I, I was looking for examples, biblical examples of this, so I started flipping through the Bible, and it took me all the way till Genesis chapter 3, the second chapter of the existence of humanity, to find some fear. Genesis 3.10, and he, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, I actually think that the fear decision happened prior to this, but we'll go over that in a minute. Uh, the next example that I wanted to draw your attention to, Genesis 26, 7, for the men in the audience, referencing maybe even that video, the mistake not to make, when the men of the place asked Abraham about his wife, he said, she's my sister. Bad decision. Bad things might happen. Never call your wife your sister. Lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive. That's not good. Numbers 13, 31 to 33. This is where we're going to land for a little while. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. There we saw the Nephilim, basically tall people. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we also seemed to them. So let me just give you a foundation of where we're coming from on this Numbers text. Israel had just successfully completed their escape from Egypt. Egypt, who had held them in captivity for as as long as 430 years. 430 years. Our country hasn't been in existence for 430 years. People are held in captivity for 430 years. For the last maybe 50 to 60 years, there was a decree to kill all boys who were born by a Hebrew woman at birth. So you carry the baby to term. And then Egypt is going to kill your son as soon as they're born. This is the decree for the last 50 to 80 years. They just escaped. Not only did they escape, uh, it was pretty amazing, some incredible persuasion by God through Moses, um, who, by the way, Moses should have been murdered at birth, right? But he didn't. Uh, Pharaoh decides to let them go and then immediately changes his mind, pursues them. Of course, Egypt gets bamboozled as Israel makes it to the Red Sea. And how else would you escape but through the bottom of it, of the Red Sea? And Egypt sees the walls of water and just, just walks right in, destroyed. And, oh yeah, there's a giant cloud filled with lightning that's leading their entire journey, right? 
Um, so all that, plus a lot of whining about like food and water issues, and then God like miraculously providing via the giant fire cloud that's leading their way, leads us to this whimpering that's taking place in verses 31 through 33, where Israel is afraid of the scary land and the big scary people who live there. And honestly, honestly, probably rightful whining, um, were it not for the giant cloud that speaks and is filled with lightning and seems to be able to do pretty much anything, right? They're so afraid that they are paralyzed. And I'm reminded of this phrase, I know you don't want to obey the giant and powerful lightning cloud, but that would be a bad decision. And sometimes if you make a bad decision, you'll have to live in the desert for 40 years and then die before you ever enter the promised land. Now, hang on a second. Did Brad just say if I make a bad decision, God's going to try and take out his retribution on my life by making me live in a desert for 40 years and die? No. Fortunately, any who call on his name, Jesus' brutal suffering and death on a cross and separation from God ultimately will be a substitution for your death in the desert that, that you and I both deserve. So that's the good news. You'll not make enough good decisions to net heaven, in case you didn't know. So just appealing to Jesus will actually take care of that for you. That's why Jesus is our king. What I am saying is that we can actually learn something from Israel's decision. Now, the goal here is not to always get it right. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm not going to always get it right. The goal here is to potentially, once in a while, learn to repent and then maybe to get it right once in a while for the betterment of myself, my community, and my world. I'm not saving myself with my good deeds. Jesus did that. My bad decisions, my the bad things that happened to me should call me should remind me to repent. That's the whole purpose. But then I repent, and maybe I can make a better decision next time. The other two scriptures I read, they're fairly similar. Um, ultimately, we see self-centered fear is the thing that's driving these bad decisions. So in Genesis 3, I would actually argue that Adam and Eve uh, were afraid that they were missing out on something, right? So it's like my son with the dog. Well, what if I'm missing out on something awesome? If I kick Daisy, she's going to like scream and run into the other room. That would be sweet, right? Adam and Eve are sitting there and Satan's like, wait, you're not supposed to eat this apple? God's holding out on you. You could know, you could know wrong from right. He's holding out on you. When am I most susceptible to believe that God is intentionally holding good things back from me. Just think, when, when are you most susceptible to believing the lie that God is holding back good things from you? That he doesn't have your best interest in mind. 
Genesis 26, Abraham is afraid that he's going to be killed because people are jealous of how beautiful his wife is. There's a lot going on there. It would probably take a while to unpack. But you get it. Fear is driving these bad decisions. Now, I should clarify one other thing here. Notice the ridiculous number of places in the Bible that we are told to fear God or fear the Lord. Probably easier when he's hovering over you as a giant lightning cloud, right? Probably easier to fear God then. But also notice God's response to people every single time that they fall down in fear at his feet. What is his response every single time? I'm most, I'm most drawn to Luke 5.8 when Peter realizes who he's messing with, realizes who Jesus is, falls at his, on his knees at Jesus' feet and just says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Can you imagine if when you met somebody, you hit the ground on your knees and just bowed to the ground? Go away from me. I am a sinful man. People would just be like, wow, you have problems, right? This would take an immense amount of fear to drive a person to the ground. Jesus, don't be afraid. And so what does Peter do? For the rest of Luke, does he crawl around on his knees? Falling at Jesus' feet the whole time? It was interesting um, when Kaylin was up here, she said, I've never done this before. And I said, don't be nervous. And then I realized how silly that thing is to say, oh, yeah, just don't be nervous. Okay, yeah, I should have just not been nervous, right? It's like when you're playing a video game and your buddy's like, dude, don't die here. Because my goal was to die in this section of the game. Oh, (laughs) just will myself into better decision-making, right? You can't do that. You can't just will yourself to be a better person. Jesus tells Peter, don't be afraid. Oh, yeah, just don't be afraid of the God of the universe. Okay, right? Peter's still afraid. But what does he do? He chooses to move through fear, get up, and follow him even though he's afraid. I found this quote to help understand our response here. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. I like this one too. A ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are for. Right? It's not what they're for. I want to give you a counterexample to those two biblical or those three biblical examples I gave you before. Genesis 22, 9 through 10. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Do you think Abraham was afraid to kill his own son? 
based on a commandment he heard from the Lord. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. It is more important for me to obey God rather than to obey the fear of I'm glad I didn't have the Abraham fear <laughs> to deal with. I'm glad that wasn't my command. Honestly, I'm lucky enough to say that I really can't speak to much personal traumatic loss or experience. I'm lucky enough to be able to say that. Both my parents are alive. My in-laws are alive. That's traumatic, maybe. No. I, I love my, my parents and my in-laws are awesome. My kids, I have two kids, they're healthy. Uh, my siblings are healthy. I love their spouses and all of their children. I, I really have... Not a lot to complain about. It's pretty tough for me to identify with people who have experienced personal loss. I really don't have much to say. It's kind of like the book of Job where his buddies come over to his house and like his entire life has just been wiped out. And they're just like, let's just sit under this tree for like a while. They don't even say anything to him. They're just like... Let's just sit here because that's pretty horrible. We don't have anything to give you, right? Actually, in the Jewish tradition, that's called to sit Shiva, right? To sit Shiva with somebody just means to sit in their presence when they have experienced loss. That's that's the only thing I can do. I can't speak into any experience. Contrary to that, one of my best friends, Michael, lost his dad in 2001 on the operating table for rotator cuff surgery because of the wrong anesthesia that was delivered. Since then, he watched his mother become more and more lost and isolated. He's always worried, he told me this, I'm always worried that she's never going to find true joy and peace again. Because she lost my dad. How she lost my dad. Not just that. Eight years after that, he lost his 39-year-old brother to alcoholism, drug addiction, and eventually a heart, heart attack. Since then, he's had to watch his brother's kids, nieces and nephews, five of them, bounce from home to home to home with their unstable drug addict mother. Meanwhile, every boyfriend becoming more abusive than the next. I can't imagine waking up and thinking about my nieces and nephews facing an abusive situation that morning. Michael's a couple years older than me, and when my wife and I got pregnant with Isaac, I kind of started giving him a hard time about having kids. And his response... Kind of took me off guard, actually. Brad, of course you think it's having kids is worth it. You've yet to feel the pain, the real pain that awaits us all. You've yet to get burned. Having kids is simply an invitation to more pain, Brad. And it's not if, 
It's when. He's right. Last February, we go to the hospital. My kid's got RSV. We're in the hospital for a week. He's on a ventilator. I mean, it was bad. I was like, my kid's going to die. This is crazy. After five days, he turns around and he, you know, I don't know, they did something to fix him. And so my wife's a doctor and I just let her deal with it. I'm meanwhile like crying or something and she's like, it's okay. I think we have this under control. I'm like, I don't have it under control. So I, I talked to Michael after this whole episode and he's like, see? I mean, he's consoling and everything, but then he's like, see? This is what I'm talking about, man. It's not if, it's when. It's when your get, kids get sick. Now, here's the thing. Michael is an ex-football lineman, played college ball. When he was 27, he was six foot four, 280 pounds. He quit playing college ball after college. Signed up for his first marathon because his best friend was doing it. That's like not a good reason to me to sign up for a race because your best friend is doing it. Oh, my best friend's doing it. I better do it too. No. He's, a four, he's now a four-time Ironman. Ironman, that means you swim for 2.4 miles, you bike 112 miles, and then you run a marathon 26.2 miles after that. In one day, under 17 hours, that's the cutoff. He's done it four times. Then he decided he wanted to run a 56-mile ultramarathon in a third-world country. He's done that three times. When he got done with that, he was like, I should run 100 miles. I bet I can do it. And he did. In one day, 23 hours, 100 miles with three of his buddies. What is wrong with you? Yeah, have, you're right. Having kids is such a risk. So risky. So many people I know are running 100-mile races. None of them are having kids. What? One of our mutual friends kind of got an earful from Michael one day about the kid thing. He didn't know anything and kind of comes into the conversation hot and sets Michael off. And when, he, when Michael gets off of his tirade, Rusty says, Michael, God wants you to have the trust in him that you had when you lived in the before even when you're living in the after. Remember before you had all that pain that happened and you had all this trust in God? He wants you to live that same way after you've experienced all the pain. You see, Michael was debilitated by the fear of pain that will most certainly accompany growing your family. You know, the difference is that he had experienced some success in endurance races. Right? So there was, not, there was not a fear of pain that was associated there. He recently repented and recanted his position. He wrote this to me. The argument I was making was incredibly self-centered. 
It presumed that either one, my pain was unique, and therefore I was justified in my attempts to avoid any further injury at all costs. Or it assumed, too, if in fact others have experienced this type of loss or pain or hopelessness that I've experienced, they would come to the same conclusions that I have about further exposure. Otherwise, they're idiots. Either you don't know my loss, so you don't know what I'm talking about, or you've experienced it, so you agree with me. If you don't, you're wrong, and you're kind of an idiot. Right? He's half right. He's half right. 2008, my wife and I found out we were pregnant. We were so excited that as soon as we found out, we sat down, And we wrote a letter to our future child filled with advice and excitement and hope and energy. And six weeks later, we found out Michael was half right. Miscarriage. Michael's half right. But guys, he's only half right. I will choose to step through fear, he continues, despite the screaming voice in my ear telling me that only hurt and pain await me. And instead, I will listen to the quiet whisper telling me, I love you. You can do this. It's worth the risk. Instead of predicting the worst that can happen, I will believe in the best possibilities, not blind to the risks, but in spite of them. I will do this because I believe that everything great, everything incredible, everything worth experiencing, every amazing thing that God has for us in this life lies just on the other side of fear. We have this phrase that we say so often in Team World Vision on our staff. This phrase, everything awesome God has for you lies on the other side of fear. Michael and his wife started trying to have kids six months ago. They've experienced some loss since then. And he wrote this anyway. It's worth it. It's worth it to step through fear and try to experience something that might cause you pain. Right? It's worth it. So other than fear, right? Fear is here. Acknowledge fear's presence when you make your decisions. Acknowledge that fear is here. But other than fear, what's holding you back? Right? This morning, a 12-year-old girl woke up. She walked two miles to a dried creek bed. She dug a hole in the ground with her hands. Pretty soon water filled up in the bottom of that hole, and she scooped that water into a jug. She tied a band around her head, tied it to the jug, hung down her back, and she walked two miles back to her house, afraid she was going to get raped, afraid she was going to get kidnapped, afraid even of the water that she's about to drink. But some things are more important than fear. Having water is more important than fear. She's got to think to herself. 
we can stop that. We can choose to end her suffering, to end her decision to have to make. She should not have to choose between water and potential rape. She shouldn't have to choose. So you know what? I hate running. But I can choose to run a race. And if I do, I bet I can get a bunch of my friends to donate so that she doesn't have to do that anymore. Because within 12 months, if you find a $50 donation, she's done making that journey. Step through fear. It doesn't have to be a race. Consider your own life, the decisions that you're about to make. What is it that's got you petrified? Is it having more kids? Is it having any kids? Is it trying again to have kids? Is it going back to school? Is it graduating school? Is it staying in school? Is it staying out of school? (laughs) Is it staying in your job, finding a new job? What is the risk? Other than fear, what is holding you back? Right? And guess what? You can't just will yourself to be courageous. Once in a while, I grant you, once in a while, in that process, you may feel as though you have courage, as though you're not afraid anymore. Once in a while, it's going to happen this much. Maybe for a second, you'll be like, I think I am courageous. No, I'm not. Right? You're not. You just have to choose to stand up and walk through it anyway. Right? I experienced the most of this with um, my second child was just born. And uh, it's my little guy, Ike. And Ella, Eleanor, he's like, got to look like he's about to attack her. Hmm, what can I do here, Dad? I experienced this. My wife had a horrible delivery with my first son, with my son. A horrible delivery, awful. So she's freaked going into delivery for Eleanor. But guess what? There's no other options. You have a baby inside you. Like, do next week. She's like, oh, I'm starting to get scared. I'm like, it's too late. <laughs> you, can't be fr- you can't be afraid. But guess what? It wasn't just she woke up one day, oh, she's not afraid anymore. No, she woke up one day, she's still afraid. We still have to go to the hospital. <laughs> right? Choose to step through fear. Other than fear, what's holding you back? Let me pray for us. God, um, we thank you for what you've done for us on behalf of us. We thank you that you have made all the right decisions so that all our bad decisions, all our wrong decisions don't count against us. We thank you for the truth of your gospel. And we pray that our bad decisions and the bad things that happen to us might simply be a reminder to us to repent. A reminder to fall on our knees. And as soon as we do that, may we also hear your voice that says, do not be afraid, get up, 
and make the right decision now. We thank you for letting us try over and over and over again to do that. Let your spirit come, speak to us today, heal where it should. And we lift up the rest of this time to you. In your name, amen.